0: Welcome and merry meet, I'm Sarah and this is your weekly witch fix. Today we'll be taking a look at The Drowning Pond by Catherine Ford, which is a young adult novel. Uh, This one falls under the witch category for me because it's a contemporary witch hunt. The main character isn't a witch herself, but she does research witchcraft and perform a spell at one point. I don't see that as making her a witch, but the events of the book are very much tied into the life of a girl called Lizzie Brownie, who is a suspected witch. There's also a chapter later on in the book. That is a first person essay on Isabel Gowdy and her execution as a witch. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Gowdy? Maybe. I've seen it spelt a few different ways. Interestingly enough, the book features quite a lot of witch history to do with Scotland, which is where the book is set. And Isabel Gowdy was a real person who was tortured into confessing she was a witch. There is some dispute as to whether she was denounced or whether she was suffering from ergot poisoning and actually thought she was a witch. And ergot poisoning is something you get from eating moldy rye and it has a similar effect to LSD. And it's what some people think that they were suffering from in Salem. While the chapter in this book, has her execution described in it there is no actual record of her being killed but apparently this was pretty common uh, records wise in scotland they had records of trials and arrests they didn't really have a lot of records of people actually being executed what i found really interesting about isabel Gowdy was this little nugget from wikipedia which is that the four confessions she made over a period of six weeks include details of charms and rhymes claims she was a member of a coven in the service of the devil and that she met with fairy queen and king Lurid information concerning carnal dealings with the devil were also provided. A combination of demonic and fairy beliefs, the narratives were used by Margaret Murray as the basis for her now mostly discredited theories about cults and witchcraft. So that's an interesting connection between um, this book, the history that's discussed in it, and actual non-fiction about witchcraft, which adds an extra layer to the witchy narrative, and I think that's why I enjoy it so much. There's also a piece of music in the book which inspires the essay about Isabel Gowdy, which is called The Confession of Isabel Gowdy, which is a work which was composed for a symphony orchestra and was composed by James Macmillan as a requiem for Isabel. I bought this book when I was a teenager from an actual bookshop because that's how things worked back then. I think it was Otica's, that's how old I am. Uh, I didn't actually know it was about witches from the blurb, so that's a bit of a swing and a miss for the publishers, but it was a very pleasant surprise to find myself reading as a bullied teen witch myself about a teen witch being bullied. I've reread it a few times because it is fairly unique, although I had lost my copy, so I had to repurchase it on Kindle. Uh, the plot itself focuses on a girl called Nicola Nevin, which is interesting because uh, that's shortened to Nick Nevin throughout the story, which is a term in Scottish folklore which can mean like Queen of the Fairies or. Um, in some cases like a witch and a bride of the devil. Um, Nicola in this book is a Scottish schoolgirl and she's desperately trying to stay in with the cool girls who have latched onto her on account of her hot brother. Unfortunately, said brother is more interested in the new girl at school who is mysterious and living in a foster home following the death of her grandmother. She also, right at the start of the book, gets kind of um, picked on by the whole class for having knits and so the the nurse has to shave her head. So she spends most of the book being... um, Bored and made fun of because she's wearing a very raggedy school uniform which is very second-hand and she has no hair. So because of this Nicholas starts a campaign to keep her increasingly miserable social status by bullying this new girl for being dirty, lousy and yes eventually a witch. They are doing a lot of witch-related stuff at school, they're covering with Beth, uh, talking about Isabel Gowdy, listening to the piece of music inspired by Isabel and they visit a local monument which is the drowning pond where witches were floated. Uh, And because Lizzie has an interest in local history about witch hunts in healing and uh, she has an extra finger like the uh, lore on Anne Boleyn. Nikki eventually lights on the idea that Lizzie is a witch and should be um, dealt with accordingly which leads them to visit the drowning pond on Halloween night. This remains one of my favourite books that I read as a teenager uh, There's fiction about witchcraft it's rare to find a Teen Witch book that isn't set in America, and because I'm English, I do appreciate a more local setting, even if that setting is Scotland. The unfortunate downside of the fact that it is set in Scotland is that there's a lot of slang, which for me is, was just incomprehensible the first time I read it, and it still confuses me now. I've read it about five times at this point, and it's just very confusing. But you can kind of get around it, It's a lot of it is very easy to understand in context, and the rest you can just kind of skim over and ignore. Also, at this point, it is quite a dated book. They don't really have smartphones, the internet is only sort of briefly featured and there's a lot of references to Westlife and Justin Trousersnake. It still holds a lot of enjoyment for me I have to say that. What makes it unique to me is the metaphoric connection drawn between the bullying against Lizzie and the witch hunts in history. It's the sense that to save yourself from persecution you have to denounce someone else and destroy them it's the connection of society's outcasts with the practicing of witchcraft as well as the kind of suspicion that can fall on practitioners of alternative medicine and healing there's also some sort of carry-esque pathos in the way lizzie's bullies get their comeuppance whether by magic or because of their own foolishness it's sort of left up to you to decide so i put this more into magical realism than to fantasy which brings me to type of magic in the book there are themes of the more traditional spoil your milk and smite your cattle witchcraft rather than Sabrina-style point-and-click magic, which I really enjoy that, that's a big plus for me there. However, I would say that it's magical realism because it's left up to your imagination as the reader as to whether you believe Lizzie is actually using magic or whether she's just being blamed for natural circumstances while also acting a bit weird. But it is confirmed in the book that Lizzie does practice some form of traditional folk magic and healing, which she learned from her uh, now-deceased grandmother. She's also the great-great-great-great-granddaughter of a witch executed at the drowning pond. So aside from the magical elements, which include uh, curses of vomiting, acne, and uh, broken bones, I really like this book because it, it digs into the misery the main character has put through at the hands of these girls that she really wants to be friends with. But she, she doesn't even seem to be, know why she wants to be friends with them, because they're so horrible. And for me, that really taps into the whole experience of school and the pain of trying to fit in versus the pain of being an outcast, which is something a lot of people drawn to witchcraft and paganism can probably identify with. Things to be aware of in this book, um, there aren't actually any content warnings I would give aside from the main character's mother has a condition which isn't MS, but is described as like MS. And I imagine some of the sort of memories and some of the things the main character goes through with her mum might upset some people who might be in a similar situation. There's also some unpleasant language which is used by other characters, including homophobic slurs and language insulting to those with disabilities, which I'm obviously not going to repeat. But I attribute this to the book being, as I said, quite out of date now. And also because most of the characters are schoolyard bullies who are quite ignorant and uneducated and they just hate anyone who's different to them which I'm I know we've all encountered people like that Uh, I like to take lessons from books about witchcraft even and especially fiction books and my favorite piece of wisdom from this is advice given to the main character by a a witchcraft shop owner that she meets who's entertainingly enough called Elvira but it's self-belief does magic make And that's something anyone who's ever tried casting a spell can attest to. You need to mean it and believe it in yourself and your own power. You can find The Drowning Pond on Amazon secondhand uh, and it will run you about £2 secondhand. Uh, I don't know if you can still buy it new because it came out a while ago. I got my version on Kindle for just over £3 and here is a brief excerpt. I apologise in advance for my almost certain mispronunciation of the Scottish slang, but please don't abduct me from my bed in the middle of the night to dunk me in brew. I assure you, I will float. and we'd reached Journey's End, the top of Gallow Hill. Clear of the trees now, we stood on a wooden bridge. It bisected the stretch of water lying at the hill's summit. It was still pouring, cold wet rain driving into our faces, tap-dancing on our waterproofs, but underfoot, beneath the slimy planks of the bridge, the rain plunged gently, hitting black water like a secret, hushed. I could see its surface bubbling with tiny rain breaths when I skimmed it with the light of my torch. Here was the drowning pond. No wonder I was sweating ice beneath Luke's cortex. Oi! Candles! Nevin, move it! Isabella bumped me with the full force of her hip, knocking my propped chin from my hands so I bit my tongue hard. Through the tears that sprang to my eyes, I could see two distorted Lizzies draining the dregs of Isabella's rotten wine. What are the candles for, Nicky? she hiccuped. Halloween spirit, Isabella piped up, glaring me silent before I muddled an answer. She was rummaging in my backpack, paying out the rope I brought. And why the rope? Halloween game, Lizzie. Isabella wasn't singing now. Her voice was grim. Holding the torch beneath her chin, she glanced quickly from me to Janet. I'll be ready. The rope jiggled impatiently in her hand. What game? You're not tying someone up. I heard it, that first catch of fear in Lizzie's voice. I'm not here to be part of your girls' night, am I? Anxiety squeaked the soles of her tatty plimsolls, panicking them away from us along the wet bridge, as she flailed about an appeal to me, to Janet, to Isabella. What's going on? I stepped forward, mouth open. Isabella, I began, although I couldn't think what to say next, so I said nothing, didn't intercede. This is wrong, this is evil, and, God forgive me, I didn't try to save Lizzie Brownie. I just looked to Isabella della Rosa, and dance to her tune. This has been your Witch Fix. Remember you can get in touch at witchfixpodcast at gmail.com and if you'd like you can support the podcast by purchasing a copy of my own novel Wayward on Amazon for 99p. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. Bye!